Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. And today we're talking about discouragement, doubt, and distance with Blake Holmes. Hey friends, I've got a special episode for you here today. I'm going to play for you uh, one of the talks that our lead pastor, Blake Holmes, gave at our church leaders conference. We just finished up uh, the conference. It was a great, great time. Hope you can join us uh, next year. But uh, Blake gave this talk to 1,900 leaders um, and really kind of focused in on uh, young leaders. These are the things that I want young leaders to know, uh, as if he was having a cup of coffee with him or just, you know, you had a, a car ride. And it will be helpful to anyone, uh, regardless of how long you've been leading. And I really want you to listen in, uh, especially as he talks about discouragement and how to handle people uh, very, very practically and even tactically uh, when they are discouraging uh, to you. So uh, it was a great talk, really well received, um, a lot of fun. There's some laughter there at the very beginning because Blake had all kinds of mic issues. And um, so it took quite a while to get it all fixed. And the people loved that. They felt really great about uh, all of their technical difficulties at their churches. And it was really, really fun. It was it was, uh, uh, it was quite a curveball and he handled it with incredible grace. And so that, that's what laughter is about. And then uh, we'll jump into the talk. So uh, listen here, enjoy, take some notes, and I would absolutely take some notes uh, about some of the very first things he shares uh, about discouragement. Hey, um, it was just a few weeks ago that my wife went to take one of our, our kids to school early in the morning, and she left the house, and in no, no time, she was right back into our living room, and she says, hey, Blake, I think you need to, I think you need to go outside. And I was like, well, what's wrong? And so I walk outside and both her car and my car had been broken into. And um, I don't know if you've ever had anybody break into your home or to your cars, but it's really unsettling. I mean, it just makes you feel um, exposed, vulnerable, uh, violated, and candidly, a, a little bit of shame. It's like, well, I could have parked somewhere different or should I park behind the gate? And, and you look at your car and somebody's you know, torn out things, stolen things, taken things from you, wrecked your car. And you're like, man, somebody uninvited who I don't know in the middle of the night while I was asleep was going through our stuff. And that's unsettling. And what I wanna tell you, and Marvin mentioned this earlier and we believe it's true. There is an enemy, friends, and in John 10, 10, very specifically, Jesus tells us that enemy, he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I, I, this message is targeted to the younger leaders in the room. So um, for the past 10 years, I've had the privilege, the joy of being a part of the Watermark Institute. It is my joy. Because I get to spend 10 months with young leaders um, who now are all over the country serving in a variety of capacities. And I wanna speak to the young leaders in the room specifically to you. I've got a heart, I wanna just speak to you. And I'm gonna share with you some things I wish people had shared with me when I was younger. And candidly, these are lessons that I have to come back to time and again. So even at 50, I need somebody telling me what, I think every young leader needs to know, and really probably some of us who have been in ministry for a while 
need to be reminded of. Because we have an enemy who, for many of us, is stealing our wonder of the gospel right now. Who's stealing from us the joy of walking with Jesus and the privilege of leading his people. I talk to you. I, I, I've prayed with you, even between our, our times. I've, I've read the surveys, I've read the articles, I've heard, I know that leadership is hard, especially in these past few years. But it's even harder for the guy who's just starting out. And so, if you're coming in here right now and you came to this conference and some of you did, just kind of like, hey, Lord, this is my fleece, so to speak. Should I keep going? I just want you especially to hear this because there's three thieves in ministry that I want you to be aware of. The first thief in ministry is discouragement. The second is doubt. And the third is distance. Okay, those are the three thieves that I just want to put a big spotlight on and help you to stop and to consider it because these three thieves have stolen at times my wonder, my joy, my gratitude, my sense of, of privilege. And I don't want them to rob you of your opportunity. If we could, I mean, personally, what I would like to do is not speak one to 2,000 people. I would love to sit with you over a cup of coffee. And this is what I would tell you. I'm not here to exegete a passage as much as I am just to offer you counsel and encouragement and exhortation and to advocate for you. And so here, here's what I would say over a cup of coffee, young leader and old leader alike. The first thing I would warn you about is discouragement. Do you know there are some people, it feels like there's some people, they wake up in the morning with a mission to come to your church and just discourage you. Have you met that person? Or they all come to Watermark? <laughs> they may. I mean, I will tell you, I will tell you about Easter. Easter people were flooding in here. And I like to go outside. I like to go into that main door out there. It's crazy the things that people say to me, but I love it because I see all these different people and it was Easter and people were in a great mood. They were dressed up, they were excited. They were um, happy to see me. I mean, I was high-fiving guys, hugging people. Hey, hey, happy Easter, happy Easter. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up. I'm happy Easter. And he stops and he looks at me and he goes, why you say happy Easter to me? Just like that. That's not preacher hyperbole. And I kid you not, his wife was standing right beside him and I saw her doing this. Her head just down. And some of my friends who are greeting with me, I mean, their eyes got this big, like, hey, pastor, what are you gonna do with that, right? <laughs> and, and he truly was like, hey, why you say happy Easter to me? Just like that. And at first I thought, is he kidding? Is this a joke? Am I being punked? Is, is Braun filming me? I don't know, <laughs> right? And, and, but then I recognized, no, he, he was angry. He says to me, you need to say happy resurrection Sunday. That's what you need to say as he spoke to me. And I said, happy resurrection Sunday. And he wanted to keep going. And I just said, hey, I hope you have a good morning. And then I kept greeting. 
It was after the message that who do you think came up again? Hey, you look surprised when I told you, don't say happy Easter to me. And he started all over again. It felt like he woke up that morning with the purpose of coming to discourage me. Just last week, John Elmore gave a great message. He gave a great message. And I kid you not, someone from the back, this lady in the back, right around there, she got up, I saw her coming. She went past you know, all these rows. She made her way down the aisle right here, and she was doing this the whole time. Literally, literally. And walked right up to John. Walked right, walked right up to John. And here's what I would tell you. Proverbs 22:18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Their words are like they're just kvoom, kvoom. And it's, it's, it's tough. It's discouraging. So, you know, um, you know, and even with the rise of social media, now everybody has a microphone. Everybody gets to tell the world what you did on that Sunday or did not do. And it can be discouraging. An enemy will rob you of your joy and the sense of privilege and gratitude and wonder of the gospel if you let him. I want you to do this exercise with me, okay? You got your notebook? Everybody's still awake? Got your notebook? You got a pen? I really want you to think about this. I want you to took... Take that notebook, in the middle of a page, I want you to stop and I want you to consider. I want you to consider just for a minute, whose feedback means the most to you? Okay, and I want you to write their names down. Everybody's gotta play along, I see ya. I just want you to think about whose feedback, if they offer you feedback, that, you need to take note. That means the most to you. So for me, it's, it's certainly my wife, Rebecca, my kids. Um, it's my community group. It's the elders here. And it's the Dallas leadership team. Okay, that, those are all the names that are on, on my page. And once you have those names, I want you to draw a circle around those names. Okay, just put it. Put a big old circle around those names. Everybody following along at home? Here's what I want you to do the next time somebody comes down and does this to you. I want you to take out that piece of paper, physically or mentally, and I want you to look. One of that, that name in that, inside that circle. And I want you to look. The next time somebody discourages you, you look and figure out, is that one of the names inside your circle? And then I want you, after you consider that, I want you to do this. I want you to listen. That man was angry. But you know what I did? I listened. The first time and the second time. And then the second thing I want you to do, I want you to listen, but don't interrupt. Don't defend, just listen. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to clarify two good questions. Sir, what do you want me to know? And sir, what would you like for me to do? And then I want you to repeat that, okay? I wish someone would have told me this. I'm just gonna ask two good questions. I'm gonna listen, I'm not gonna interrupt, I'm not gonna defend, 
And then I'm gonna say, sir, what, would you, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? And then I'm gonna repeat that for clarity. Then what I want you to consider when you get feedback that's discouraging to you, if that person who gives you feedback is a name written inside the circle, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take everything that they said, I want you to assume that it is true. So be careful how many names you put in that circle. <laughs> but if it's inside the center of the circle, you need to go, I am going to trust that what they are telling me, they have my best interests in mind, I don't like it, but faithful the wounds of a friend, and they're telling me this because it's true. And then I'm gonna thank them, and then I'm gonna say, hey, will you help me? Will you help me? See, God gives us each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. And I need sharpening. I need it. I need it. I need it desperately. Okay? Now, if, though, you look at your circle and you get feedback that's discouraging, you've done the things I said, and you're like, oh, your name's not in the middle of my circle, man. I'm get, I want to give you permission to do something. You ready for this? This is really going to strike against the sensibilities of many of you, but here's what I want you to do. I want to give you permission to walk away. Now, you may think, that feels really unchristian to me. I don't, I don't, Blake, I just can't walk away. Oh, yeah, you can. You do it like this. Sir, I've heard you, and I think this conversation is over. That's it. Sir, I've heard you. I've repeated what you've said. And this conversation is over. In his book, When to Walk Away, Gary Thomas writes a, um, it's, it's a great book, and he writes this. He says, it wasn't until I found myself in the crosshairs of similar toxic personalities that I realized toxic individuals feed off, note this, misunderstood piety and are enabled by false Christian guilt to spread their attacks far and wide. Friends, I want to remind you, you look at it. If you don't believe me, look, watch Jesus's life. There were many times Jesus walked away. He walked away. In fact, he commands you to. You don't believe it? Matthew 10, verse 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And the principle is this, there are times to walk away. It was true for the disciples, it's true for you. We're also told in Proverbs 22, three, the prudent sees danger and he hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. You do not have to sit there and listen to abusive criticism. You can walk away. Not everybody has your best interest in mind. 2 Timothy 2.23, and I could keep going, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. There is a time to walk away. Remember this, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And that man who came to me on that day, that wasn't the time nor the place. 
I wanted to hear him, but I didn't need to engage him. He wasn't ready to listen. And, um, and I know there'll be opportunities in the future for me to engage him. But it said more about where he was than anything we were doing. Hurt people hurt people. And not everyone's words should carry the same weight. If they do, it is going to chew you up. You hear me, young leader? Not everyone's words should carry the same amount of weight. When those in that circle tell me something, even if I go, what, Are you serious? I just consider it to be true. There wasn't long ago, we were sitting in our Dallas leadership team meeting. There's about 10 of us sitting around a table and they, well, I got some feedback that I didn't just love. And I just had to go, whoa, 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 guys, I don't think you realize this. Cause I, 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 well, I know they did. I go, when you guys say something to me, I feel real, I, I, I feel very sensitive to that. So just please just give me feedback, but be careful and measure your words. Because what you think really matters to me. And I want to listen. And I want to be corrected. But just gentle. I tell, I, I tell uh, TA and Elmore, all I want to do is I want to be an advocate for those two men. I want to be an advocate. I want to be a defender. I want to be an encourager. I want to help them do their job really well. And I often tell them when they get up here, because it's hard to get up here week in and week out. just is. And it invites crazy comments. And people who are seeking to discourage you. And it's okay. They're big kids. But I'll often look at them and I will tell them, you do not need anything from that audience. Nothing. If you're a communicator, if you're in ministry, I just want to tell you, you do not need anything. You don't need their approval. You don't need their applause. You get up there and you preach God's word. And you tell them the truth, the message that God's laid on your heart. All those emails you get, send them to me. I'll respond. I'm happy to respond. I don't want those guys discouraged. They do an amazing job. And I'm like, hey, just let me carry that one, okay? You focus on what you do. Let me do my job. I want to help. You know, um, I told you yesterday, I just, I, res I, I do, I resent. I don't like the whole idea of like, you know, so you're kind of like a CEO, you know, this mega church and all that. I'm, I just don't like that language. And I, and I know it sounds kind of corny, but there's times I've looked at a person, I go, hey, define CEO, you know, like chief executive officer. I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not that. I don't want to be that. I, you know, I think at that point, you're supposed to have this vision every year and come up with these you know, new ideas, new products, and every person that you stand in front of, they're customers. And I don't think that's a biblical perspective. And it may sound a little corny, but I go, but you know what I do want to be? I'll be the CEO of Chief Encouragement Officer. For our staff, I just want to be an encouragement. I want to help them. Ministry's hard. And I want them to know I have their back. I love them. And I'm proud of them. And I don't need to be them. I remember a friend of mine in Nacogdoches, Texas. That's where I first started working in ministry. East Texas, Piney Woods. Oldest town in Texas, by the way, trivia. I was in Nacogdoches, Texas. And there was an older gentleman there named Ron Schaub. And when I left Nacogdoches, I went to him and I just said, Ron, thank you for the fact that every 
time I met with you, you were such an encouragement to me. Every time. And I won't forget what he said to me. It's so true. He said to me, he said, Blake, there are so few cheerleaders in this world. I just want to be a cheerleader, man. And I thought, how sad is that? And yet, it's so true. We tear each other down. We hide behind, well, I'm a true teller. I'm a strong leader, strong personality, telling the truth. No, you're just mean. <laughs> it's just mean. It's not loving. It's not encouraging. My Bible tells me, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as gives edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear How hard is that? I will tell you, if you're an older pastor, be a Ron Schaub to your staff. And if you're younger, find your Ron Schaub. Go find him. And candidly, if you work on a staff where no Ron Schaub exists, leave your church. Leave your church. Second thief that will steal your joy, your wonder, the sense of privilege is doubt. I wanna just tell everyone here, every young leader, because you're gonna feel this guilt, like, wait a minute, is this, maybe I don't have enough faith, something's wrong, maybe I'm not as good enough leader as I should be. Let me just tell you, doubt is normative in the Christian life. Anybody who tells you different is lying to you. In scripture, we see Sarah doubts, the Lord's promises, David doubts his presence, Peter doubts his purposes, Thomas doubts his power, and I could go on. This is the passage that always gets my attention. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. We, we all know our Bibles here, Matthew 28. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's made many appearances, okay? And look at what verse 17 says. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. They, they're in front of the risen Savior. And then it says, but some doubted. That's so amazing to me. I mean, the risen Savior is looking them in the eyes. And some doubted. I can relate to the to the father who came to Jesus to heal his son. In Mark chapter nine, verse 22, it says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes I'm just like that, dad. I believe, Lord, I, I do, I believe but help my unbelief. If you've never doubted, you just, you're not being honest with yourself. You never sat and held your boy's hand at four years old diagnosed with cancer like I have. You never had to look at three little girls and tell them your dad's never coming home because he made a tragic choice. You never had to look at a little girl who's been sexually abused and try to care for her and her parents. Doubt will spring up on you. Jude tells us in verses 20 through 22, 
But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Look at verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. If you are a church where you don't have room for people to come and express their doubts, that's a problem. We have a ministry called Great Questions that meets every Monday night. I mean, brings tears to my eyes. People come to Watermark. They come in this big old campus and they find a room that candidly is halfway hidden. And they just walk in and go, hey, I don't believe anything y'all believe. I doubt the goodness of God. I doubt God's word is true. But I, I was told I could come here and just ask questions. I'm like, thank you. We'll walk with you for whatever it is you're experiencing. You may today, you may be doubting God's call in your life. I don't know. Maybe your ability to discern his will. Maybe your gifts for ministry. Maybe you've just played the game of comparison for so long. You look at other people and what they're doing in ministry and you're just like, I don't know, man, maybe I need, I, I can't do this. And so you just start to doubt. Did I miss God's will all along? What am I here for? God's using this person that way. It's natural, young leader. I get it. Try working at this place. I'm not as funny as Braun. I can't ideate like John. I'm not as organized as David Penuel. I'm not as clear of a communicator as John Elmore. I'm not as smart as John Cox, and I don't need to be. I'm just gonna be me, okay? And when you doubt What's happening is it, you're robbing, you're robbing, of, you're allowing the enemy to rob you of the joy, the wonder, and the privilege that the Lord has for you, that his grace is sufficient. And I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. You may be the one sitting in here who's dealing with hidden sin, and you don't think God's grace is sufficient for you. I talk to church leaders all the time confident to share the gospel with others out there, but because of their position, now they kind of secretly live with this. But I don't know if anybody really knows the truth about me and they doubt. They doubt the sufficiency of his grace. Let me tell you this, those who claim that they never struggle with doubt, they're just not intellectually honest. Chuck Swindoll, he wrote this. I love this. He says, I fear that too many believers think that they have captured the message of Christianity and place it in a box, marked on top, don't ask, don't tell. On the side it reads, off limits for doubts and questions. Does someone in the family need to give you permission to weep when you lose a loved one? I mean, really grieve. Do you feel the freedom to admit, I just don't know for sure. Is there any place for you because you're still thinking and still questioning? Bottom line, is it okay to doubt? Swindoll writes, it's okay. In fact, it's necessary. You must or you won't grow. You will wind up learning someone else's answers and in many cases, they will be inadequate for your questions if you are honest enough to ask them. He's right. Can I, can I appeal to you to do something? This is a little meal on my soapbox right now. I, I wanna appeal to you to put down all of the self-help Christian works that are found in most bookstores today. 
Put down all that garbage. And I say that respectfully. <laughs> Go pick up some books of faithful saints who have walked before us. Learn from the feet of like John Bunyan. Go grab a pilgrim's work, a Puritan's work. I've sat there, I've read Bunyan's grace abounding. You don't think that man struggled with doubt? Read grace abounding, his autobiography, John Bunyan, great man of the faith. Go read Pilgrim's Progress, which should be required reading for every believer every year. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you gotta read it. I don't lead the Institute anymore, but I've told them there's one book everybody's gonna read outside the Bible. We're never giving up Pilgrim's Progress. It is the classic illustration of what does the Christian life look like? And if you know it, Christian enters into the castle of doubt. And Bunyan's talking about his own journey. And when he goes into the castle of doubt, he is beaten by the giant of despair. And the wife of dissonance comes and says, just give up. My husband's gonna beat you daily. I don't wanna give away the answer. But it's so beautiful, the key that opens every door. It's beautiful. It's okay to doubt. Here's what, here's what I would tell you, though. It's what we do with our doubts that matters. Okay? Doubting's normative. It's what we do. And so what I want to tell you is the first thing you do when you're doubting is you confess them to God and to other people. Psalm 13:1. you know it. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's right out of scripture, friends. Does that sound like somebody who's struggling? But what's beautiful is he's going to God. God's preserved that psalm in his word for us to read, to give us expression for our times of doubt, that we can go to God and pray. So we confess them to God. We confess them to other people. Secondly, we never let them become an excuse for sin. You never let your doubt become an excuse for sin. Just think of Genesis chapter three, right? Verse one, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And thirdly, what I would tell you is lean into your doubts. Lean into your doubts. That's where God will help you grow. He'll use them to strengthen your faith and make the roots of your faith and your leadership and your conviction to grow deep. Remember the Lord's faithfulness in the past. Look back, see what God has done and it will give you the courage to keep moving forward. And just know that the solution for doubt is not certainty, but it's submission to God's providential will. You just take the next step. Take the next step of faithfulness, the next step. What would the Lord have me do for today? And you hold on to God's word. I'm fond of saying, and I've told many people thousands of times, do not determine your theology on the 10th floor at Children's Medical Center. I've been there. With a son who had cancer at four years old, if you do that, you will end up in a really terrible, dark place. But if you hold on to God's word, even in the midst of 
of sorrow, he will lead you out of the castle of doubt. The third thief that will rob you of joy, wonder of the gospel, and the privilege that you have as ministers, leaders in the church, is distance. Distance. I want to tell you something. Too many church leaders live with an accepted, this is the sad thing, they have accepted and live with a distance from God and others. Because they're fulfilling the role of an office or a position. And they've bought the lie that they can't be honest and vulnerable. They feel as if they've got to be in 2 Corinthians, as Paul describes them, today's super apostle. No, you don't. You just got to be faithful. Don't be so busy for God in ministry, friends, that you're no longer walking with him. You can do it. You can hide. You can hide in ministry better than anywhere else. You can hide in seminary better than anywhere else. Young leader, do not get a seminary degree and forfeit a vital, vibrant relationship with the Lord. We live with an acceptable distance from our spouse even, from those on our teams. And that should not be the case. Don't buy the lie because you're the lead pastor. You're an elder. You're on staff. You're a Christian. You've walked with God for a long time. That you've got to be today's super apostle or build a platform or be a social media influencer or become a celebrity pastor, that stuff's garbage. I'm serious. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Hey man, how are you doing in your social media influence today? Are you building a platform for yourself right now? It's tragic. Imagine John the Baptist, which T.A. reminded us of, sitting there thinking about celebrity pastor, even those words, I'm like, man, we are lost. We are lost. Young leader, you do not need to build a platform. You can live with yet you can live without being on social media. Love your people. Trust God. Read his word. Get up the next day. Do it again. If you find yourself right now at a distance from the Lord, from your spouse, from your team, I want to encourage you to make things right. I just want to encourage, let, let, let this conference be the turning point. It's never too late. It's never too late. Okay? Like, just, just stop and make things right with the Lord. And just, you know the, you know the verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to what? To forgive us. And cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And that applies to you, pastor. Don't let the sin so easily entangle you. And now you feel like, well, I'm a pastor, but I can't share. You're buying a lie, man, and it will, it will eat you up. You will die from the inside out. If you're not right with your spouse, today's the day. I just want to remind you of one of the most sobering passages, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, 
since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Note this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you hear that? That means, friend, you can have tens of thousands of people and be a social media influencer. You could be the celebrity pastor and have a platform nobody has. And you don't love your wife well? God will not hear your prayers. That's not Blake's maxim. I'm reading you God's word. You gotta make things right at home. Inside, out. Inside, out. Don't clean the outside of the cup. Inside, out. And finally, make things right with your team. Make things right with your team. Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Some of you need to get right with one another. Before you leave, you need to get right with one another. Something's tearing you apart. If it's a sarcastic comment, decisions have been made, make it right. Lean into it. Here's, here's all you have to do. It's all you have to do. I'm gonna give you the word. Here's the script. You ready? I know things aren't right between us right now. I wanna own my part. And I'm committed to working on this relationship. That's it. That's it. Swallow your pride. Initiate. Don't wait for the other person. Look at them and go, I know things aren't right with us. I need to own my part. And I'm committed. I'm committed to working on it. That will bless your church. That may be the most significant leadership moment and decision you make all week. Do you know what this is? Do you know what this is? Come on. Thank you. You're wrong. This was my source of greatest frustration as a kid. I hate this little thing, right? How many of you, be honest, how many of you broke the Rubik's Cube? Oh, come on. I absolutely, I broke it, right? And then tried to put it back together, right? I, how, many of you, how many of you took the stickers off? Okay, all right, there we go, there we go, there we go. Honest people. I hated this cube. You know why I hated this cube? Because I could never solve it. I could never solve it. I was so frustrated because I kept trying hard and trying to solve it. And what I needed to do is quit trying to solve it. Quit relying upon myself. What I needed to do is ask for help. What I needed to do is recognize, hey, you know what? This life is not meant to be lived alone. God doesn't need me to be a super apostle. And what I needed to do is confess the weight of the discouragement I feel, the doubts I'm experiencing, and the distance I feel from God and others. And I need to go to the Lord. I need to look to the church. I need to, I need to go to my team and go, hey, would you help me? This is tough. Yesterday in the green room, y'all don't even know this. Yesterday in the green room, before we walked out on that panel, I just went to, it just so happened. I mean, like, like 
God did something. The three guys in my community group just happened to be in our office in the back. And I, I happened to sit down and I, I looked up and I go, oh my gosh. And I, I just, I go, hey guys, can I just not be the lead pastor right now and just share something with you? And I just confess some discouragement. All three of those men, all three of them, without even looking at each other, just opened their Bible and they just started reading passages of scripture to me. I mean, like, just remind me of what's true. I mean, I, 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 that night I went to bed and I like to just, at night, just to stop and think about my day and thank the Lord for what he's done. And that night I went to bed and I just thanked God for friends who remind me of what's true. They didn't rebuke me, correct me, they love me. And you need to take that little thing that's frustrating you, whatever it is, doubt, discouragement, distance, you need to give it away to the one who does understand. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean the Lord doesn't. Give it to someone who can solve it for you. Let's pray. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or anything else you want us to talk about in the future, we can be reached at clp at watermark.org, clp at watermark.org. We'll talk to you again next time.